0: this is brett from washington and i never listen to ha, hang on what's the name of that fucking show yeah i don't listen to doubtful with Dollimore. the following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion ideas skepticism and adult subject matter topics will be discussed using adult language sometimes gratuitously get ready to move the conversation forward this ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dolomore. All right. It is good uh, to be back. I am your host, Jesse Dolomore. This is I Doubt It with Dolomore, sitting across from me, rolling her eyes so far back into her head that there might be a medical issue. Brittany Page. No. Is it just been so long since we've done an episode that you forget my exuberance and my excitement, my energy level when we start the show?
1: No, no.
0: Then what was the problem?
1: Um, I just like to roll my eyes. All right. It's a nice little exercise for my eyes.
0: It's like kegels. Yeah. But for your face.
1: Exactly. <laughs> for the eyeballs.
0: Well, I think that I want to start the show today Providing as much motivation <laughs> and excitement uh-huh. to rev up the the listeners as much as you have been revving up. What do you think?
1: Are you going to play my show, my pre-show song,
0: Brittany's pre-show warm-up? <laughs> and it may have been spurned by the movie Deadpool. It wasn't. Uh, has been this. <laughs>
1: If you know this already, you're the best.
2: God damn.
0: Britney can recite this entire song. Most of it.
1: Hey,
0: Terrible.
1: No, it is the Wham, <laughs> Wham Rap.
0: It is the Wham! rap.
1: Yes. By this Wham! Th-
0: by Wham! Mm-hmm. And you You've never heard it. I have never heard it and I, you know, it's probably li- likely because it's terrible.
1: No, it's great.
0: But this you've been listening to this and jamming. And I mean jamming to this.
1: Okay, well, I have had this song on my iPod for a long time. And the first time I saw this song performed was on American Bandstand. <laughs> A a rerun of American Bandstand on BH1. And uh, Wham was performing it on American Bandstand. And I thought it was the coolest thing that I had ever seen. I was like so excited.
0: It's from like 1986. So rap was relatively new. And
1: yeah, this is like white people rapping. Even blacks
0: weren't really good at rapping in 1986 certainly white people were not meant to be rapping this early
1: one of the the lyrics says um, are you a man or a mouse (laughs) so pretty good lyrics is what I'm saying Right, pretty pretty good but what I should start doing is post my pre-show warm up song before every show so everyone can know all the wonderful tunes that I play to prepare for the show.
0: I don't believe this would be one of them.
1: This is one of them. No.
3: no. Yes.
0: So there it is, George Michael and the wham rap.
1: So, exactly. Can we talk about how the other guy in Wham, no one even knows about or cares about? Right. (laughs) His name's Andrew. I always think his name is Alex, and then I have to go look it up. When I watch this, when I watch the Wham music videos, I don't think he's ever singing. I just think he's like a backup dancer to George Michael. So why was he in the band? I don't know. Can someone explain this to me?
0: He was there to make money, apparently. Mm -hmm. Apparently, that's all.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So, anyway, you're welcome, audience. We've got a lot to get to today. Holy shit. Well, one, we're back. I am healthy. Brittany is finally at 100%. We'll
1: see how long it lasts, but for now.
0: Very little coughing on either one of our parts. Yes. That is good. Um, We do have a lot to get to, so let's get right into this. Uh, We first of all have a couple pieces of listener feedback that we want to get to. Let's start with the less serious of the two. That was also kind of mu- music related, like we just talked about. And then we'll get to the more serious question.
1: This is from Dave. And he said, loved Britney's passion with regard to Earth, Wind and Fire. Also share her distaste for those crappy live version of songs on Pandora. I rarely like live recordings. I always think, well, those people who were there sound like they're having a good time. But nothing is worse than hearing Led Zeppelin with Robert Plant and his screeching off-key live vocals (laughs) and horrible improvisational instincts. The studio was always his best friend. I have nearly broken a leg trying to get to my computer and or iPad to hit the thumbs down button when those songs come on. But sometimes I fear that if I say thumbs down to the piece of shit live version of Hey Jude, that it will also think I don't want to hear the lovely original version.
0: I can assure you, and Britney can as well, that will not happen. Because Britney, her Pandora stations are so fucking fine-tuned. She still gets all the music she likes. She has just weeded out live versions. It's
1: true. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about it. Although I did have that concern at first, but I have perfected it. She just
0: forged ahead with bravery.
1: Well, I'm not going (laughs) to risk listening to those crappy versions.
0: Yeah.
1: Got to get rid of them.
0: Thank you, Dave. We appreciate the email. You too can communicate with the show. 657-464-7609 or, of course... The trusty emailing of a voice memo to our, to, from your, wow, we skip an episode and I don't even know what the fuck's going on. Mm-hmm. Email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. The second piece of more scathing questioning was sent to us by, I believe, Marcus.
1: Mm -hmm. Hi, guys. I just listened to the bonus episode about the ABC Republican debate. In it, Jesse stated he's okay with torture in some cases. I found that to be rather shocking, as he's always seemed to be reasonable in the past. What? What? Let's set aside (laughs) the moral question and just look at effectiveness. Can you point to any evidence that torture is an effective way to generate accurate intelligence? The Senate report on the CIA program sure didn't find any. I'm not aware of any, so I'd love to know if I'm wrong on this. If you can't, in fact, point to any evidence of its effectiveness, why would you support its use? Brittany is the best part. Marcus.
0: Love the show. Brittany's the best part. So I I didn't. (laughs) I didn't go and do any any research because I forgot that he said that at the end. Otherwise, I would have done a little bit more research. But let let me say this. You can't just set aside the moral question. You cannot. It's easy to say, well, let's set aside morality just for a second. Let's just talk about effectiveness. One, I do believe that it, it is effective and maybe not in the manner with which we've used it. Just indiscriminate waterboarding, or you know, the crazy methods that they've that they've employed that maybe we don't even know about. However, there are cases where a good beatdown could have been effective. Sam Harris, I would direct you to some of his podcasts, and uh, maybe I'll find it and I'll message you back, Marcus. Um, Sam Harris talks about a specific instance that's
1: in the Stanford. I think Epical, Harvard. Is it Harvard? it might be stanford harvard whatever
0: and it's it's a a moral quandary where a person had kidnapped a girl and she was ready to die and they they found the kidnapper and he would not give up where she was they knew it was him because he like a crazy description he fit exactly there was just no chance it was anybody else and what do you do do you not hit him do you not hurt him do you not inflict whatever pain is necessary upon him to get the, the information out of her, out of him, or do you let her die? Well, I would say you do whatever you need to do to save the innocent's life to that person. And the same would be, and in, in, in like I said on the previous episode, only in extreme circumstances should torture be used? And, and I mean extreme. I can't really even think of anything right now that, that wouldn't be not just wildly hypothetical. The other thing I want to address is the statement, and Brittany will have to read it back to me, the statement that you said, it's, I, I was shocked when I heard that you would use torture in some circumstances, You've always seemed to be so reasonable, which indicates to me that you believe me not to be reasonable because I hold this one position. That's what was the line?
1: Well, I've already moved the email off of my screen. All right. right. Well, I think but th- that was the gist of I, it. I think I summed it up. That was the gist of it. And and that's ah, that's such a
0: knee-jerk thing. I am reasonable. Why is it that I'm the unreasonable one? is it just because your position is different so you must be reasonable i must be unreasonable that just seems not taking into other n- taking into account other points of view that might be correct
1: well and he might be or also be correct right he might be coming from a position of well there's no proof or evidence for its effectiveness so you know until then, I'm going to side with what is, you know, evidence-based. Well, let me tell
0: you something. A lot of people will say, relative to torture.
1: I don't want to speak for Marcus, and but and I'm terrorists
0: just. terrorists that, well, they're ready to die anyway, so nothing you can do will, will hasten them to give up the goods. And that's fucking naive bullshit, because pain goes a long way toward making someone talk. They might not give a shit about dying instantly in a car bomb, but they sure as shit care about other methods that we might employ to get them to talk. I don't think we should torture. I don't think it should be a policy of willy-nilly, all-the-time, average, everyday treatment of prisoners. I don't think that. However, there are cases, and there will likely be, be cases in the future, where it might be something we consider using in order to get the information we need. That's all I'm saying. Thank you, Marcus.
1: And um, I just want to say that the American Psychological Association's position on torture is a no. <laughs> None of the torture.
0: None. Never. Right. Under
1: any circumstance, no exceptions.
0: Thank goodness the American Psychological Association isn't in charge of Of defending our country and keeping us secure and safe from the monsters who will do anything to cut our fucking heads off. Thankful for that. Ouch. All right. From one unreasonable position to another, let's talk about Tamir Rice. He is the 12-year-old who was gunned down by Cleveland police... And there has been a lot of consternation and there's been a kerfuffle related to a a bill that was, this is what was all being alleged, that a bill was sent from the Cleveland city to the the, the family for like $500 for the transport of his body. And when I first heard this, I was completely incensed how fucking outrageous this is. Apparently that's not exactly what happened here is the finance director for the city of Cleveland the chief counsel for the city of Cleveland and finally the mayor of Cleveland kind of explaining exactly what happened all apologetic still doesn't make what happened exactly right but it takes away some of the sting of them being you know total and complete assholes
2: we have not in the past or intended to in the future bill the tamir rice family for transport services there has never been a direct bill to the family for transport services
3: earlier this week the executor for the estate of tamir rice submitted a letter to the city of cleveland asking the city to forward a billing statement for services rendered to Tamir Rice on November 22, 2014. This is part of his legal duty as the executor of the state. He reaches out to all potential creditors, asking them to submit a statement of any outstanding charges that are still owed. The attorney who represents the, Asse- the Division of Assessments and Licenses followed the standard routine process when he received this letter to file the invoice for the Air Ambulance Transportation Services with the probate court. That was what is filed yesterday.
4: There was no intent and there was no sending of a bill either um, previously or now to the Tamir Rice family. No, it wasn't a mistake. It, it was a mistake in terms of, of us not flagging it but it was not a mistake in terms of the legal process, no it followed the legal process should it have happened? no, because a red flag should have been risen, but that didn't happen did was there uh, did anybody do anything wrong in this? no because it's the normal process it's the way in which we do things internally but it's also what the law requires you to do So we just followed the process and followed the law. I'm trying not to, uh, even though we've done another stumble that has caused them harm, I'm trying to rectify that in the best way I can by just talking about the truth of the matter as regards to this.
0: So the good thing is that they, I think he, that was the mayor there speaking. And it sounds like they understand, look, we fucked up. We should have flagged this prior to have this not sent out. But as a matter of probate law and the executor of the state of the the estate, we that was their duty as far as the law is concerned. So, ah, you know, it's it's definitely shitty. It shouldn't have been done, but it doesn't sound like it was just malice from the government of Cleveland.
1: Yeah, it's hard to look at the situation though and have that metered reaction because initially right. you're just so disgusted I, by this. And I know? was,
0: you were too. We were yeah. both pissed off. In fact, we just before we went to show, um, we I discovered this information mm-hmm. in looking into it because I want to be when I present the information. If I'm going to be pissed off, I want to be rightly pissed off. And there's still there is something to be pissed off about here. However. You know, the city of Cleveland shouldn't be burned to the goddamn ground. Mm-hmm. It, it's shitty, but yeah.
1: Wait, it, did I just say "uh huh" that it should be burned to the should ground? Should not okay, be. Okay, I was scared because I wasn't. Sometimes I'm not listening, and I say "uh huh," and yeah. then I'm like, "Oh my god, I shouldn't do that with Jesse D."
0: Sometimes you're not listening, <laughs> right? Yeah. Only sometimes. Yes. Not all the fucking time. No, no. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. In another case, that actually, I think there should be outrage and this isn't a shooting that we covered previously on the show, but it just dovetails so nicely with this Tamir Rice story. A Chicago police officer is suing the estate of a teen who he shot and killed.
1: Yeah, a Chicago police officer who fatally shot a black 19-year-old college student and accidentally killed a neighbor has filed a lawsuit against the teenager's estate arguing the shooting left him traumatized
0: oh my god the
1: highly unusual suit was filed early in february in the middle of the city's effort to grapple with serious questions about the future of its police force those questions include the adequacy of its system for investigating police shootings and how to win back public trust after several cases of alleged misconduct the u.s justice department is conducting a wide-ranging civil rights investigation and mayor Rahm Emanuel has promised a major overhaul of the police department and steps to heal its fraught relationship with black residents
0: rom Emanuel needs to go he is he's an obama crony formerly worked in the obama white house was a chief architect of the early obama administration and he left to run for mayor of chicago he is an abject fucking failure even if you just take the police situation and the violence situation in chicago just taking that into account, he needs to go.
1: So, the suit is being filed by Officer Robert Rialmo, who is seeking $10 million in damages. Jesus
0: Christ. Are you kidding me? His
1: attorney, Joel Brodsky, whatever, said it was <laughs> important in the charged atmosphere to send a message that police are, quote, not targets for assaults and, quote, suffer damage like anybody else.
0: <sighs> you mean damage like death?
1: hmm
0: Like... your victim Mm -hmm. the 19 year old whom you killed
1: the lawsuit provides the officer's first public account of how he says the shooting happened after offering details that differ with the family's version. It says the officer who was responding to a domestic disturbance call with another officer opened fired after the teenager swung a bat at the officer's head at close range. A downstairs neighbor, 55-year-old Betty Jones, was standing nearby and was shot and killed by accident. She was not a part of the domestic dispute. Quote, The fact that the teenager's actions forced Officer Rialmo to end his life and to accidentally take the innocent life of Betty Jones has caused and will continue to cause officer Rialmo to suffer extreme emotional trauma
0: you forced me to kill you I'm going to sue your estate for 10 million dollars does this kid does it does he have an estate that's worth 10 million dollars
1: um, I don't know. But so even with his story, he's saying that this teen was swinging a baseball bat at him, was taking full swings at him, missing him by inches. Um, you couldn't do something else. You don't
0: have a taser on your body.
1: You don't have any other method but to shoot the kid and accidentally shoot someone else. What the hell are you doing is my question.
0: Failing at your job. That is what you're doing.
1: So the teen suffered six bullet wounds. And the account from the family says that evidence indicates the officer was 20 or 30 feet away when he fired, which calls into question his contention that he feared for his life having this baseball bat swung at him.
0: Right, Which we find, especially now with the advent of smartphones and video video capability on demand, instant able, the ability to, to film, we're finding out that cops largely, often are fucking liars. And they say, oh, well, this is the way it went down. And then video surfaces and not at all what they said was true. And additionally, not at all.
1: additionally, the, the teen is the one who called 911. Yeah. So why is the person that's calling 911 going to then try to hit the officer with the bat that they just called for help?
0: Yeah, he called the cop there. Yeah. He's going to attack the cop when he gets there.
1: So, this just seems like complete BS. A little janky. And, yeah, honestly, a new low.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: A new low. This is horrific.
0: Well, he just sees dollar signs, maybe. It just, it's sickening. You know what else is sickening, Brittany? I don't know if any of you have seen the Super Bowl halftime show. I'm sure it's on YouTube all over the place. And the subsequent controversy surrounding... Beyonce's performance.
1: Mm-hmm. Not Coldplay's performance.
0: Yeah, that's not that's not controversial other than the fact that why the fuck were they there? Uh, let me ask you, Brittany, what do you think the easiest way to get white people to hate other white people?
1: To stand with black people. For me, that's it. <laughs> that I, is what happened to me as well. I'm
0: not very well liked by lots of white people right now. No. Because I did a video in, in rebutting... Tommy Laren uh-huh. and her two, two minutes and 11 second rant mm-hmm. about Beyonce. She
1: works for The Blaze.
0: That's right. She used to work for a network called One American News.
1: Which looks like a fake news network if you've ever seen it. It
0: looks like a poor man's Fox News. It does. It's like if you could puke up an American flag onto the screen, that is what it is. Mm-hmm. So she went on this rant, and you can go see it anywhere, and you can even go watch my video on, on YouTube. But I want to talk about the song and why white people, fearful, unintelligent white people, are losing their collective minds about this song.
3: you with that Illuminati mess.
0: in my bag swag Swag. 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 oh yeah baby oh yeah (laughs) oh yes I like that that is awesome so that is what happened and that is all apparently it takes to get white people real angry with another white guy who is taking up for a population that has been historically look and I'm not tooting my own horn here because any normal person would do so. I just happen to have the means to to be on camera and to have a microphone in front of me. But black people in this country have been... the. There is no other group that has been treated as poorly as blacks. None. Not the Chinese, not the Irish, not the Mexicans. No other group has been owned as property en masse for hundreds of years. That's just the case. And Britney is catching all kinds of shit online from conversations. I'm I'm being called and told the most horrific things on YouTube because I chose to do a video.
1: Well, people are, are angry about the halftime performance because the um, outfits that Beyonce and her backup dancers were wearing are... Paying tribute to the Black Panthers. Or we don't even know if it was paying tribute to the Black Panthers. It was resembling the Black Panthers. Right. And people have been very unhappy.
0: To say the least.
1: By this. And I'll just read something that someone shared. They shared this meme that said, if this offends you and it has a Confederate flag and then it says, but this doesn't, something's wrong with you. And it has a picture of Beyonce and her backup dancers. And they said, let's stop being so focused on race and trying to make silent statements and let's just enjoy life. Shut your mouth, Beyonce. You have rights. You're playing at the Super Bowl. Now, this is the kind of stuff that I have been seeing, though, right. and this is very alarming because, well, the, first of all, this person is saying, stop trying to make silent statements, but they also don't want them to be loud about it. So what? Right. which do you want? You're not happy with the silent statements. You're not happy when they talk about it. Which do you want? It's really nice for you, too, to not be focused on race because you're a white person.
0: Well, You don't have to. I don't have to think about race. I, I know you weren't just talking to me. I just got fired up about your idiot friend on Facebook. As a white person, you don't have to think about race because it it doesn't come into your head because you're white. In white America, you're white. You get treated differently because you're white. It's not an issue for you. Therefore, no thought is given. But when you're black or a person of color, it is a thing. You do have to think about how to tell your kids to deal with the authorities. Right, right. When you get pulled over, you keep your hands on the steering wheel and you keep your mouth shut because there's a possibility, not even slim, that you might end up dead.
1: Or even further, just teaching your kids about the history. Right. When your kids encounter someone who's racist or wearing a Confederate flag t-shirt like Kid Rock. Right. You know, you have to explain that kind of stuff to them, whereas that doesn't really affect us. And this stuff this racism, blatant racism, was happening not that long ago.
0: Right. Of course not.
1: So, and everyone's like, let's quit talking about it. But y- people are still dying. Cops are still killing unarmed black boys. Well,
0: it's it It's a line in that Tommy Lahren rant where she says, why don't you just let America heal? Yeah, it's very disturbing. Why don't you let America heal from white people owning... Other human beings you don't it's like I say you, listen Tommy Laren you don't get to pick how long it takes for blacks to heal from the horrific atrocities that have been waged against them by a system a system run created by white people now that's not to say you're guilty white person If you're listening out there and you're getting a little fired up because, well, I didn't do anything, you're not being blamed. But you didn't create the system. The system that as soon as slaves were freed, they were just freed. Illiterate. Couldn't read. Couldn't write. What are they going to do? It's hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of uneducated people just, okay, now you're free. Okay, great. Now what? Goddamn. If you just think about that from a generational standpoint, it's horrible. And it's, it's going to be a long time without government support and system-initiated healing methods, whether it be financial or otherwise, to, to, to make a mark to help the situation better
1: yeah, I also had um someone say, I don't define my life or experiences by the color of my skin. Why do people have to define themselves as black and white? That's shallow and small minded. Of course, this person is white, white., yeah. okay, okay, so because you don't do that, then that somehow suggests something about other people. I've also had a lot of people like listing off their. Um, adversity and Ugh. and these terrible things they've been through right. because that somehow indicates like something about beyonce and like the way that she talks about her culture and her history and the black experience. No, it doesn't. yeah. I'm just so confused by, the stuff that I've been seeing and it's weird because it's 2016 and I keep thinking that we're past this and then I see blatant racism. Right. And of course, it's from like people who have never moved out of my hometown. It's like that classic meme where it's like the person from your hometown that eats at Olive Garden and like <laughs> post racist things on Facebook. But it is. It's true. It's these people. But it's it's difficult to see and not comment on because it's right. so horrific, you know.
0: Right. And look, I'm not even this video wasn't this video wasn't meant to be white a white person commenting on black things. This was a conversation between me and another white person. It's calm the fuck down, slow your roll. You're being a hateful judgmental hag. I guess is really the 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 tone.
1: <laughs> and then one last thing, how the person said um shut up Beyonce you have rights quote unquote right how does how are these people so comfortable like speaking about another person's experience like they don't know the discrimination that Beyonce has experienced in her lifetime as a black woman yes she's in a position of power now and she has money now but has she experienced um discrimination because she's sure. a black woman. Right. I mean, you don't know what her experience has been.
0: Not only that, but as an artist now, she's giving back to the community by, she is in a position of power now. Right. To maybe mobilize and get the word out.
1: And give people who don't have power, power.
0: That is awesome.
1: That's the point. Good for her. The point. And I kind of kind of like the song. You do. <laughs> You've been walking around narrating everything you're doing to the tune of Formation. Anyway. It's been very entertaining. That
0: did not need to be said.
1: I'm getting in the fridge.
0: <laughs> that was, that, was that it? That, that was a
1: poor example, but that I was did? basically what you did.
0: All right. Moving on.
2: Support
1: for I Doubt It with Dolamore
2: comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like. Comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollimore.
0: Before we move on, I would like to give a big, giant, fat, hairy thank you to Taylor, Brian, and Josh.
1: New patrons. Our
0: newest patrons. On Patreon.
1: (laughs) Thanks, guys. We appreciate it
0: very much, boys. Uh, Welcome to the family, and you can expect great things this year. We have a debate on the 25th and on March 3rd. These are both Republican debates, and they will, barring Britney's illness and sickness and pestilence, they will be covered in bonus episodes.
1: And March 3rd is the Megyn Kelly-Donald Trump rematch, you guys. yeah,
0: It's going to be real good. Yeah. So I would like to also put a call out to, I guess, our Patreon subscribers that we we really do want to do some bonus content this year, and I'm kind of dry on ideas, so help us out. Call in, 657-464-7609. Email a voice memo from your smartphone to it at dollamore.com, or you can get the Facebook page or Twitter or all of the other ways to get a hold of us. We want to hear from you and we are we're excited about 2016. Dolamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So as you may have heard, Justice Antonin Scalia, the oldest I guess he's not the oldest, but he is the longest-serving member of the Supreme Court of the United States has died.
5: For almost 30 years, Justice Antonin Nino Scalia was a larger-than-life president on the bench. A brilliant legal mind with an energetic style, an incisive wit, and colorful opinions. He influenced a generation of judges, lawyers, and students and profoundly shaped the legal landscape. He will no doubt be remembered as one of the most consequential judges and thinkers to serve on the Supreme Court. Justice Scalia dedicated his life to the cornerstone of our democracy, the rule of law. Tonight we honor his extraordinary service to our nation and remember one of the towering legal figures of our time. Antonin Scalia was born in Trenton, New Jersey, to an Italian immigrant family. After graduating from Georgetown University and Harvard Law School, he worked at a law firm and taught law before entering a life of public service. He rose from Assistant Attorney General for the Office of Legal Counsel to the Judge on the D.C. Circuit Court to Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. A devout Catholic, He was a proud father of nine children and grandfather to many loving grandchildren. Justice Scalia was both an avid hunter and an opera lover, a passion for music that he shared with his dear colleague and friend, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Michelle and I were proud to welcome him to the White House, including in 2012 for a state dinner for Prime Minister David Cameron. And tonight, we join his fellow justices in mourning this remarkable man. Obviously, today is a time to remember Justice Scalia's legacy. I plan to fulfill my constitutional responsibilities to nominate a successor in due time. There will be plenty of time for me to do so and for the Senate to fulfill its responsibility to give that person a fair hearing and a timely vote. These are responsibilities that I take seriously, as should everyone. They're bigger than any one party. They are about our democracy. They're about the institution to which Justice Scalia dedicated his professional life and making sure it continues to function as the beacon of justice that our founders envisioned. But at this moment, we most of all want to think about his family. And Michelle and I join the nation in sending our deepest sympathies to Justice Scalia's wife, Maureen, uh, and their loving family, uh, a beautiful symbol of a life well-lived. We thank them for sharing Justice Scalia with our country. God bless them all, and God bless the United States of America.
0: So, 79 years old, died of a heart attack in Texas on a hunting trip. And in the wake of this, there has been, I guess as one would expect, although not as one would hope, a lot of anger and vitriol and bitterness toward him. Um, And I think it's a little unfounded. Listen, he's wrong on a lot of stuff and he was a damaging justice, but I don't think he was a hateful man. In fact, I think... It's evidenced his lack of being a hateful guy and what a likable guy he was by the fact that his best friend was Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the most liberal member of the court. Here is a little snippet from 60 Minutes a few years ago where he is talking about disagreeing with people and thinking their ideas are terrible, but not them. And they get a little bit into what good friends he is with Justice Ginsburg. You know the
4: story of the Baptist preacher who was asked if he, if he believed in, uh, in total immersion baptism, and he said, believe in it? Why, I've seen it done. I have to say the same thing about your question. Are, are there, there must be other views because I've seen them.
2: Yeah, but you respect I, I, them. I, 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 you don't, do you?
4: I, I respect the people who have them, but I think, I think those views are, are just flat out
2: wrong. He's talking about some of his fellow justices, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a liberal who is, and this never ceases to surprise people, one of his best friends, both on and off the court. I see the Constitution as striving for a more perfect union. To her, the Constitution evolves and should reflect changes in society. The going back to what was meant originally when they wrote, for instance, we the people, makes little sense. Who were we the people in 1787? You would not be among we the people. African-Americans would not be among the people. Justice Ginsburg, and you disagree. We do indeed. Uh, Lots of things. And yet you're such good friends.
4: I attack ideas. I don't attack people. And some very good people have some very bad ideas. And, and, and if you can't separate the two, got to get another day job. You, you, you don't want to be a judge, at least not a judge on a, on, a, on a multi-member panel.
0: And that very well may be the case with Antonin Scalia. His words applied to himself. Some very good people with some very bad ideas. His friendship wasn't just limited to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Elena Kagan, another liberal justice, tells stories, this was a couple years ago, telling stories about hunting trips taken with Justice Antonin Scalia.
2: You know, the the court is full of great people, and uh, I think we do manage to enjoy each other. All right, specifics.
0: You went duck hunting with
2: Justice Scalia. How was it? Well, you, you know, I haven't gone duck hunting yet, although that's on the the the, the, the trip list. But I do go. I, it's I, on I, the bucket I, list, actually. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I, I shoot birds with him. Uh, uh, Fair, you know, two or three times a year now. And then he um, at the at the end of last year, we had been bird shooting four or five times. And I, 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 I'll tell you how that came to be. But uh, but before, before he so he said to me, he said. It's time for big game hunting. And we actually went out to Wyoming this past fall to shoot deer and antelope. Uh, And we did. You're getting some hisses uh, from the audience. Were you a... uh, I
6: I hope you were a a better shot than uh, Dick Cheney.
2: Uh, (laughs) I shot myself a deer.
0: So clearly he was not this monster who was... A person who made it impossible to work with him he was a likable guy and I would caution those of you who are ideologically strong on the left to maybe be on Twitter and be on Facebook relative to his death and his passing with a little bit more sensitivity and a little bit more empathy toward those who love him like like like-minded people Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Elena Kagan, people who loved him. I don't know. I just, it struck me as, it. it I felt odd, kind of icky, <laughs> if you will, about all of the hate that I was seeing.
1: I think it's difficult and I've talked to some people in the LGBT community and they're having a particularly hard time with it just because of the dissent that Scalia wrote sure. um, in the SCOTUS decision on gay marriage and you know, it doesn't make them feel good what he wrote about them, about their rights. And so those things are a little bit more difficult. But, you know, hearing him talk, um, you know, he does sound not necessarily like a Pat Robertson. Right. Um, And I do like that he is good friends with Ginsburg and Kagan. One thing I like about what Ruth Bader Ginsburg had to say about their friendship is that, quote, from our years together at the D.C. Circuit, we were best buddies. We disagreed now and then, but when I wrote for the court and received a Scalia dissent, the opinion ultimately released was notably better than my initial circulation. Hmm. She talked about him making her better at her job because he was such a good writer. Sure. And I think that this is a... Good thing to hear about among these very polarized conversations that we hear, where it almost seems like you can't be friends with someone yeah. who holds a different political point of view well, than it, you do. It
0: goes to what we talk about on the show all the time about moving the conversation forward. Agreeing isn't necessarily, I mean, ultimately that would be awesome, but it's not necessarily the goal. Just having the conversation civilly is, is awesome, and it does... It provides an environment where things can be talked about. The other thing I wanted to say very quickly is that David Axelrod today said that uh, Scalia was the one who recommended Elena Kagan to the court. He recommended a liberal justice. That's... I don't know. It just it strikes me.
1: He said, "quote I have no illusions that Obama will nominate someone who shares my orientation, but I hope he sends us someone smart." Leaning forward, he said, "quote Let me put a finer point on it. I hope he sends us Elena Kagan."
0: <laughs> Which he did.
1: Not that time, actually. He did Sotomayor first, and oh, then right. and then Kagan. Okay. Well,
0: here's the deal. Here's what we face now. We face the Republicans who are grandstanding. They are loudly proclaiming, we don't want Obama. Not only we don't want, they're saying it would be outrageous for Obama to appoint, to nominate someone to the court during an election year. And that is a bullshit. Complete and utter horseshit. They have, under the Constitution, the power of advise and consent where they can confirm or deny the nomination. Just like in the 80s with Ronald Reagan when he nominated uh, Judge Bork and the Senate said, fuck you. Nope. And he was not confirmed.
1: Was it because his name was Bork?
0: It may have been. So...
1: It's a good little joke.
0: It has happened before in the past that the Senate says no. Many times and liberals are going to be outraged by that. But let me tell you, liberals and let me tell you conservatives, the system will work. It is not a constitutional crisis if Obama nominates a justice and the Senate refuses to approve them. That is why the system is set up that way. Checks and balances.
1: So the Senate has never taken more than 125 days to vote on a successor from the time of the nomination, and President Obama's term expires in 341 days. Right. Um, On average, a nominee has been confirmed, rejected, or withdrawn in 25 days, but few presidents have successfully filled vacancies announced in their final full year.
0: That's right. It is uncommon, but it is his constitutional responsibility. No one else can appoint someone, nominate someone to the Supreme Court, except the President of the United States. So obviously Republicans are hedging their bets that there will be a Republican in office come January twentieth, twenty seventeen, and then they can get whoever they want in. But I think it's a it's a it's worth the gamble on their part politically. Here's what's gonna happen though, and let's get off of the the, the procedure, the constitutional procedure and responsibilities of these two branches of government. This is going to be, going forward, a seminal issue of this campaign. On both sides. This is going to be used to gin up support for for all of the different candidates and to get out the vote. Because What is more important to the liberals than getting a liberal justice and breaking up the 5-4 court that we have now. Five conservatives, four liberals. If we swing it the other way, we've got 5-4 liberal and everything is right in the world according to liberals. It is exactly the opposite with the Republican Party. They want to keep that 5-4. So it's going to be used, like I said, to really get the vote out. And this is something that you're going to be hearing about over and over and over Until November.
1: Right. And just for comparison, Barack Obama has nominated and had confirmed two individuals, Elena Kagan and Sonia Sotomayor. And Sotomayor took 66 days from nomination to result. And um, Kagan was 87 days from nomination to result. Right. So this is somewhat of a lengthy process. So it's not going to be, you know, tomorrow he announces somebody and then they're in there in a week or two. And,
0: And it's gotten longer. I don't have the data in front of me that you're looking at. But just off of memory... Uh, It seems like things have gotten longer and more protracted as time has gone on. It for sure has. I don't remember as a child during the Reagan administration, and yes, I was just that nerdy of a kid to be interested in this kind of shit. Uh, I don't remember it taking 80 days. I remember it being a very, you know, two weeks or so, and then it was done, and we had a new Supreme Court justice.
1: For Reagan, it was actually... Uh, pretty pretty much the same. 65 days, 85 days, 89 days, 33 days with Sandra Day O'Connor mm-hmm. and then 114 days for Bork who was rejected.
0: And he was rejected. but right. there's
1: several zero days on this list so they just announced someone and then they just drove right in and <laughs> you're hired.
0: They just the moving truck just moved all his furniture in. yeah under, tr- under
1: Truman there's a zero under FDR there's a zero and elsewhere.
0: Well, they likely had Democratic congresses
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is obviously a, a benefit. for for that particular executive. So anyway, that is happening. We will obviously keep you updated on this. Up next, little Ben Carson for you. Once again, he stepped on his doctoral dick during the debate, and in his closing statement, last time he misquoted the preamble of our Constitution in his closing statement, and this time... He just invented a quote from a a former world leader out of the blue. This is a quote from Stalin that apparently doesn't exist.
5: This is the first generation not expected to do better than their parents. Some people say it's the new normal, but there's nothing normal about it in an exceptional American. I, like you, am a member of we, the people, and we know that our country is heading off the cliff. Joseph Stalin said, if you want to bring America down, you have to undermine three things, our spiritual life, our patriotism, and our morality.
1: So, no, Um, (laughs) PolitiFact rated this as false, and they looked in many different areas. They kind of talked to Snopes about this. They went and looked at an online Stalin archive. They looked on an online library compiled by the University of Pennsylvania. Everywhere they looked came up empty, and the earliest use of the quote that they found was in a 1983 letter to the editor in a Kansas newspaper, but they just do not believe that this came from Stalin. It's being attributed to him, but it doesn't seem plausible that he said this.
0: This happens all the time. In fact, my favorite quote of all time, which is, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. It's attributed to Edmund Burke, but Edmund Burke didn't say it. So it's. I always just say it's unknown. And oftentimes, people who are conservative especially, they talk about it and use that quote and attribute it to him, and it's not. But it's odd that it's from a letter to the editor in Kansas in the 30s, in 83, you said, Mm -hmm. in
1: 1983,
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) that uh, he's, yeah, well, it's in a letter to the editor. It must be true.
1: Right. Well, here's the weird thing about the quote. Is that Stalin is basically complimenting America for its strengths. <laughs> so he's complimenting right, America right. on the spiritual life, their patriotism, and their morality.
0: Here's how you do it
1: <laughs> America's <laughs> the, so great. All the
0: handsome guys, you need to attack first. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so it, it doesn't make sense. Right. Um, but yeah, so if he could stop saying things that he saw on a meme. Uh, before he went on stage, just like some random Twitter person.
0: He's the he's the meme candidate. That would be great. 2016. Yeah. All right. Well, now that we're on presidential politics, we have three new quitters. Jim Gilmore, former governor of Virginia. Chris Christie, governor of New Jersey. And Carly Fiorina, former CEO of Hewlett-Packard. All gone. Quitters.
1: There's only six left now in the debates, which makes it uh, a lot better.
0: More manageable.
1: More manageable. And now it's just getting down to the more serious candidates. So that's helpful.
0: More serious. Which leads me to talk about Ted Cruz and his wife on a radio show talking about how a, a Ted Cruz administration would show the American people the face of the Christian God
2: after just a little bit of prayer, I, I realized uh, if I were not married to Ted.
0: Also, <laughs> let's stop that. We're going to restart it. Uh, I want you to listen to the rambling nonsense and just uh, maybe it's just me, but she seems a little off her meds, let's say, unhinged. She seems a little, a mm, little kooky. After
2: just a little bit of prayer, I, I realized uh, if I were not married to Ted, this would be a campaign that I would be trying to get on because this country is in crisis and this individual has an incredible talent to bring us out of this crisis. We are in a crisis economically, constitutionally, and in terms of our uh, foreign affairs, we are in a crisis. And Ted is a man of faith. He believes he's a, tr- a believer. Uh, He's a constitutionalist. He has an unparalleled legal career in defending our values, and he's unwavering. He's unflappable. And so when I thought about doing it for our country, it became very clear to me that our family must be in this race. Um, And it also became clear to me that we are at a cultural crossroads in our country, and if we can be in this race to... Show this country the face of the God that we serve. This Christian God that we serve uh, is the foundation of our country. Our country was built on Judeo-Christian values. We are a nation of freedom of religion, but the God of Christianity is a God of freedom, of individual liberty, of choice, and of consequence. And I think that's something that this country really needs to be reminded of, that Christians are loving people, are non-judgmental people. But there is right and wrong. We have a country of law and order. There are consequences to actions. And we must all live peaceably um, in our own faith under the Constitution. And Ted is uniquely able to deliver on that combination of the law and religion.
0: Uh,
1: Is that important?
0: The two things, yeah, exactly. How is that important, that he deliver... On religion.
1: Is that relevant to the job?
0: That is not a job requirement, madam, that your husband deliver on religion. It's certainly a requirement that he deliver on the Constitution, but if he believes, based on the Constitution, that it is his job to deliver on religion, he's not the guy for the job, and clearly, he's not the guy well, for the job. it
1: also makes me nervous, because he's obviously going to be, quote-unquote, delivering on one religion. Right. His religion. Right. And there are millions of Americans that are not a part of his religion and don't care about it.
0: That's exactly right. So this leads me to, I'm sure all of our European listeners and our international listeners right now are in stitches with laughter over the connection between religion and government. But here is Billy Graham's son, Franklin Graham. And this might be the only time that we ever agree, he and I. He's talking about in this clip, giving a speech, about how this very well could be only one election left to save America. America is
6: being stripped of its biblical heritage and God-inspired foundations. You know, growing up, we were concerned about the red threat. The Russians were coming, right? And I remember we went, we, up in Western North Carolina, I went to a grammar school and they had civil defense food packed in there, in the basement. And we had, uh, we had uh, these drills, in case a bomb went off, we had hide under our desk, right? Like that was going to do a lot of good. But we were ready, all right? We were ready. And then the Berlin Wall came down. And then the red threat kind of just evaporated. It was no longer there. And we all took this big sigh of relief. And then secularism came. And it infiltrated and infected our governments, the state, the federal, the local level secularism and communism there's no difference they're both exactly the same they're both godless oh yeah and the and the enemy came in and didn't even have to fire a shot and he's already got control the men and women of god we need to take a stand because we're losing our country And if we continue going down the road that we're going, let me tell you what the politicians want to do. They want to change the Constitution of America. That's their goal. And they will strip our freedoms. Having a service like this in a few years could be illegal. Come on! They would say you could only have a prayer service inside of a church building. That's what the communists do in Russia. You can only worship inside a church building, you can't be out and open like this.
0: Communists in Russia, modern That's day what Russia. They, want to
6: do. The, they call themselves progressives, okay?
0: <laughs>
6: That's a nice word in it. Anybody who calls themselves a progressive, you better be careful. Your vote counts. America needs the Christian vote. You see, it's not that the enemy is at the gate. They've come through the gate because we have left the gates wide open and we have allowed our moral walls to deteriorate and fall down. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got maybe one election left. And I've been told by people who know that the game will be over. Who knows? And I'm telling you right now, we're very close to losing you are That's why it's so important for the men and women of God go back home, get your friends and your family, get them
0: registered and get them to vote. This is a man who pays no taxes
5: mm-hmm.
0: Reverend Franklin Graham who's exempt from much of the personal income taxes that many people are that pay. Because he's a man of God, and as part of the agreement with the government, that yeah, okay, you don't have to pay taxes, but you don't get to be involved in electioneering. You don't get to be involved in advocating for certain politicians. And here we are, listening to him drone on about not just specific politicians, but political ideologies. He's railing against progressives here. Listen, if you have a liberal clergy who's railing about Republicans, that man needs to be paying taxes. The same thing is here. Why is he exempt from paying taxes? It's outrageous. The other thing is, he's backing up what I've said. This might be the last election for the Republican Party. Because when 58% of millennial Republicans are A-OK with gay marriage, they've got a problem. And if they keep putting these dinosaurs out there as candidates and not more reasonable men like Jeb Bush or John Kasich, they're going to lose elections time and time again until they're completely irrelevant. And I think this is the election. That they're finding that out.
1: Well, and we're moving closer and closer to having a secular candidate. We're the closest we've ever been with Bernie Sanders, although he still has to profess a belief in, quote-unquote, God, and he does use that term, but then he just chalks it up to, like, the golden rule. But he still has to say, yeah, I believe in God. It's just the golden rule. Um, (laughs) Because as long as he's saying, yeah, I believe in God, then everyone's okay. Like,
0: oh, oh, okay. Right,
1: but if he's just saying, nah, I believe in the golden rule, though, then everyone's like, wait a minute, you said no? You don't believe in God? That's all they hear. So... We're getting closer, um, and I agree that he's probably right. It's, you know, we're one election, especially if Bernie Sanders is the nominee. Right. Um, we're just going to get more people that are comfortable being the way Bernie Sanders is, well, which I, is I, not necessarily attached to religion.
0: I wouldn't even say that it's if Bernie Sanders is the nominee. I would say if it's Donald Trump or Ted Cruz who's the nominee, it's over for the Republican Party it's donezo. Game over. Because all those millennials who are still clinging to the Republican Party are going to flee en masse because they don't agree with the leader of their party, who will be at the time the nominee for president of the United States. So we will see, like I said, rarity that I would agree with Franklin Graham. But there it is. Partial agreement.
1: It's just, if you were to hear this guy talk and not really know, like, the context, you'd think that he thought the purge was a real thing. (laughs) You know, what is he talking... It's gonna be
0: illegal for us to have a group meeting where we talk about God. Yeah,
1: what is he saying? The moral walls are deteriorating and falling down. Yeah, yeah. Like, murder isn't legal.
0: Right, crime, and violent crime especially, has gone down dramatically.
1: So, what... What are you talking about?
0: <laughs> well, data and facts, they don't matter to him. What matters is the word of gold.
1: The purge election was a horrible preview I had to sit through oh, before Deadpool. Yeah. Not actual real things that are occurring, Franklin Graham. Terrible, Grant. terrible. It terrible. wasn't on the news.
0: All right, let's wrap it up with some ba- some good news and some bad news. I guess it's it's bad news if you're very short as a man. And it's good news if you're, you know, six foot three like me.
1: So two researchers at Chapman University in California began a study to determine whether tall heterosexual men have had more sex partners than other heterosexual men. They assumed the answer would be yes, because the scientific literature suggests that height signals dominance, physical fitness and social status to women who are seeking sex partners. To their surprise, that's not what they found. Tall men don't have a history of more sex partners than men of average height or most short men, according to their study that was published in Evolutionary Psychology. After dividing respondents into different height groups, the researchers found that every group of men taller than 5'4 had the same median number of sex partners, 7. 7. Only men classified as very short or between 5'2 and 5'4 had significantly different sexual history. They reported a median of five sex partners.
0: Five and seven, huh?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a significant difference. Yeah, yeah. And so 5'4 is where that difference occurs, where you're not getting as many ladies.
0: (laughs) So if you're five, you know what's crazy, and this is anecdotal. Brittany will hate me for this. But the, the the one guy that comes to mind that I know who's short, he's not in that five category. Hmm. He's more in the seventeen category. Hmm. He does okay mm-hmm. with the ladies.
1: Okay. Well, this research drew on the experience of sixty thousand people. Wow. Really? So you can take that.
0: To the (laughs) bank. Holy shit.
1: Yeah, 60,058. Heterosexual U.S. men and women aged 18 to 65 who completed an anonymous survey online in 2006. According to the authors, David Frederick and Brooke Jenkins, the explanation for their findings might be that women have a, quote, minimal threshold for male height. (laughs) Anyone taller is pretty much an acceptable potential mate and anyone shorter, not so much. And since women are shorter... Right. Then anyone taller than them is going to be someone who is above five four.
0: So me being six three though, according to this, I'm not getting more ladies than someone who's five foot nine. Average height. No. I'm just we're on par. Yes. And even a guy who's five foot five, he's doing the same as me. Yes. Huh.
1: So women who were very short, four feet eleven inches or shorter also reported having a median of five sexual partners, the lowest of all female height groups. However, since the researchers held no theories about a female's height and her number of sex partners before conducting their research, they didn't explore these findings further. Hmm. The authors also calculated the average number of sex partners for the different groups. The averages were much higher than the medians, but they are keen to focus on the medians here. Just as it only takes a couple of billionaires to skew the numbers of an average income, a handful of very prolific sexual players in this data set could be driving up these averages. Hmm. Um,
0: Prolific. Prolific, Brittany Page. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, whatever that's worth, take it. Take it for what it's worth, audience. Six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine. 7609 Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to it at dollamore.com. We want to hear from you.
1: Well, I just wanted to say that the women from 5'6 to 5'11 had more sex partners than other women. So 5'6 to 5'11 is the sweet spot, apparently.
0: No pun intended.
1: For the ladies. <laughs>
0: Like I said, we love you, and we want to hear from you. Check in with us. We got the Twitter. We got the Facebook. We got the number. We got the blah, 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 blah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in, for helping us move the conversation forward. Without you, there wouldn't be the conversation. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollimore, and this has been... I doubt it.
1: Happy Valentine's Day, everybody.
0: Happy Valentine's Day, everybody.